0: This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching to the book of Esther, and today we're in chapter 5. Throughout this study of Esther, we've come to understand that God is not absent, God is not unaware, God is not distracted, while we go through troubles and trials. God is, in fact, very much present and deeply involved in our situations, not just at the macro level of kings and governments, but personally involved in our lives. Today, we'll see again that our God is a tender God that both moves us to action, but also bothers to comfort us, all to accomplish His will. That gives us great assurance That we can rely on God's promises in His Word, as we'll discover as we listen to the first part of today's message from Pastor Pierre. Years ago,
1: I met a fellow Brazilian who went to seminary in San Diego, same one that I got my master's degree from. And like most seminarians, he struggled to pay tuition. One day, he and his wife went to a small restaurant in a place called Julian, California. And as they held hands to pray, to thank God for the food, a man approached them and asked them if they were Christians. They said yes, and they explained that the husband was an international student on an international student visa preparing for ministry. Along the conversation, the man offered to pay my compatriots tuition in full. Now, as soon as I heard this story, I took my wife to the same restaurant, <laughs> hoping that the benefactor would be there and offered to pay for our meal. I'm just kidding, of course. But the story is real that my friend got his full tuition paid for in this way. This was an unusual yet glorious way for my friend to experience divine providence and confirmation, really, of his call. Most seminary students experience God's financial providence through hard work, wise financial decisions, and sacrifice, and wise budgeting. Now, besides the generosity of a stranger and diligent work, God may also enlist the favor of a king to provide for his people, even to save them from annihilation. That's what we see in next in the next scene of the uh, book of Esther here, chapter 5. In fact, that chapter inaugurates the second part of the narrative. We've covered the first part, which I called the predicament of God's people. And now that whole story turns into the protection of God's people by divine design. And remember, God is never mentioned there, even though there's no way you cannot see God's hand of providence in the story. A banquet setting appears again twice in this chapter, two different banquets, and therefore helps us identify a plot turn now. The story starts to change at this point. Now, this part of the story also shows us that God moves in the hearts of people to ensure the accomplishment of his perfect and sovereign plan. Scripture also confirms that he doesn't eliminate free will. No one in the story is an automaton, a robot who makes no decisions. But again, no human decision can ever frustrate God's divine plan. And I hope that by now this truth has taken root in your hearts. Just in our study of the book of Esther here, that no human decision can ever frustrate God's plan. So I want to share with you today four aspects of God's providential care. As we launch this second half of the book here, this story that I'm calling God Behind the Scenes in Human Determination, we're going to see four aspects of God's providential care. The first one in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 5 of the book of Esther, I'm calling He Tames Temperaments because that's what we see in the book. Follow along with me, verses 1 through 2, if you have your Bibles. Now it came about on a third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. All right, you see why I'm calling this part of the story God Tames Temperaments? Because Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes from the history books here, is known as a wild beast, a man of impulsive decisions, a man who uh, makes decisions on the spot. He actually cannot make any decisions on himself, but by himself he needs help. But the context here is that the Persian Jews fasted for three days, as the queen commanded them, in preparation for her unannounced audience with the Hasseweres, which was very dangerous. We learned that from last week, because it was against the law to do such a thing. During this period of three days, Esther drafted then a plan to secure his intervention on behalf of her people, something that Mordecai had instructed her to do. In the beginning, you will remember, she hesitated a little bit, because she knew that it was against the law to approach the king uninvited. So she recruited the people to fast for three days. The Bible doesn't mention any prayer here. We can assume that that took place, but she recruited them to fast for three days in preparation for this. Uh, Again, years before her, her predecessor Vashti had been deposed because she contradicted the king. So we're talking about a, a very unstable man here, at least emotionally speaking. But providentially, not coincidentally, so remove that word from your vocabulary when we're reading the book of Esther here, nothing is by coincidence, everything is by providence. So by providence, not coincidence, the queen placed herself in the right place at the right moment for the king to see her. So she dressed up, put on her, her royal robes so that the king would see her and, 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 and have delight in her again, also by God's providence. And he didn't perceive her action as presumptuous or disobedient. So see, that's God's providence already in him pr- protecting her life there. He was actually glad. Xerxes was glad to see her and follow the protocol of a royal pardon. In case you're wondering, what is this whole thing about extending the scepter to her and her touching the, the top of the scepter? That, this was a public demonstration of you are pardoned. I, I allow you to come into my presence type of a thing. Now, I assure you, This was not a conversion experience on Ahasuerus' part. This was the Lord softening his heart, taming the beast, taming his bad temper to assure Esther that her courage by divine enablement aligned with the divine plan. What an encouragement. This is God assuring Esther that he is behind this whole story. He is actually the one in control for the preservation of the Jews. He had removed the first hurdle. Esther showed up unannounced to the bad-tempered king and lived to talk about it. Not many people had the same luck, presumably. This is a law that if it was violated, we don't know of anybody who violated this law here, but presumably some people had violated the rule and paid the price for it. In church, there is no way for us to attribute Ahasuerus' surprisingly good mood here or a rare moment of sobriety. There's no way we can say, oh, that's such a coincidence. Look at that. No, this is God. This is not Ahasuerus' self-improvement. This is not his suddenly, well, he had a good night. Nothing like that. This was an act of God, a God who tames temperaments, a God who softens hearts. Remember, we know this because just two chapters ago, this man signed the bill promoting mass murder, encouraging mass murder of the Jews, the first attempted Holocaust in history that Haman, the Agagite, remember him, he'll show up again in the story here, uh, had encouraged him to do. And he said yes to that. Well, the Case of bad leadership. This is bad leadership 101. But God softened his heart here, and he has done this throughout history. God softens heart even today. I'll give you an example from history here in in the past, in ancient Egypt. For example, the Pharaoh before the Exodus, the Pharaoh of the time of Joseph, the patriarchs there in Egypt, promoted Joseph to the position of second in command in that whole land uh, because the patriarch revealed the interpretation of the king's dreams. This is in Genesis 41. Again, there is no way you can say, well, Pharaoh just had a good day that day. No, this is God's providence in promoting Joseph, a descendant of Abraham, to the position of second in command so that the Jewish people would survive the famine that followed. You see, God's been doing this all along. This is not something new that God is going to preserve his people. God is keeping his people alive. Remember why? There are two reasons. He promised them that there will be future glory for them. He promised them that in Abraham, all the peoples, all the families of the world will be blessed, a reference to a Messiah who would come from the Jewish line. So when God promises something, guess what, church? It's going to happen. No matter what people decide, no matter if people want to do the opposite, it's going to happen. So the first evidence of God's Preservation of his people we find in the book of Genesis. Here's another example. In the context of Esther here, in the book of Ezra, verses 1 through 4, let me read that to you so you can see how God preserved his people by softening hearts, by moving in the hearts of people. Not miraculously, there's no miracles happening here. Just God invisibly behind the scenes moving in hearts in order to accomplish his purposes. Ezra 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, you see, this is Ahasuerus' family line here. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. You see, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying... Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. This is so unusual, church. Remember, this is a pagan king putting in writing that he is allowing the captives to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. You can't attribute that to coincidence. There is no other explanation for that other than the Lord stirred up his heart. And he continues, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. He got this one wrong here. He didn't know about the omnipresence of God. He thought that God lived only in Jerusalem. But again, we know that Cyrus was not a theologian. Every survivor, he continues, at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a free will offering for the house of God which is in Jerusalem. See, the Lord stirred up his heart so much that he even funded the project. He not only allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, but he said, here, I'm going to give you federal money for it. Imagine that. Well, in this case empire money, now a modern equivalent of that would be the federal government here of the U.S. offering to fund the North American Mission Board. It's impossible. It's a violation of the separation of church and state. And if you, against your better judgment, assume pure motives of our government leaders and no strings attached, you would never attribute such a breach of separation of church and state to the goodness of the heart of the people in D.C., you would never say this, oh, how godly they are. No, this is God stirring the heart of a, of a civil leader here, in this case a, a monarch, an emperor, a king, in the case of Cyrus then, and now he's doing the same thing in the heart of this man, Ahasuerus. Now God continues to do the same thing even today. This is not something that God did in the past. He is not the God of the past. He is the God who lives in the eternal present Remember, you and I live past, present, and future, one moment at a time. God lives in the eternal present, the eternal moment for God. He does this according to uh, Proverbs 21, verse 1, which says this, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now, church, think about the significance of this proverb here for a moment. This biblical truth. The king's heart is in is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So the question is, should we ever worry about what's going to happen with the federal government? What's going to happen in D.C. or the governments of the world? No, because we know who's in charge. In church, according to Proverbs 21, who's in charge? God's in charge. we got nothing to worry about. God has preserved his people before. He will continue to preserve his people now. It doesn't mean he's not going to allow us to go through bumpy rides. He's not going to allow us... It doesn't mean he's not going to allow us to go through inflation, to go through tragedy even... But he is in charge, he is in control. He is the one who stirs up the heart of people in order to accomplish his plan and his purpose globally for humankind and particularly for you, for your life. Now, I don't know details of his plan for your life. I'm trying to pursue God's plan for my life. I'm trying to understand his plans for my life. And you know what I found? God hasn't revealed to me the whole thing until the end. He doesn't want to, I suspect, because he wants me to live day by day trusting in him. God, I don't know what you're doing, but you know what? I don't need to know what you're doing. I just need to trust you that whatever it is that you're doing is loving, sovereign, all-powerful, and is going to bring glory to your name. So this is what we see here. And now that we know this, church, I want to ask you another question. Do you see a pattern here? What's the pattern that we have in the examples of Scripture that I just gave you? I hope to recognize this, that every favorable answer you receive, every non-favorable answer even for that matter, but every favorable answer you receive, whether it's a job interview, a yes from the fiancé, or a break on a bill, a grace period on a late paper if you're a student, whatever it is, comes from divine providence. It belongs to a plan that you know nothing about, but that God is moving the pieces of that plan, of that chessboard, as it were, so that he will be honored and glorified and you will mature along the way. There's no coincidence in, in, in history here from a divine perspective. There's no random coincidence or your own wisdom. There is nothing that has happened in your life. I hope you realize this. This is humbling and glorious at the same time. Nothing that has ever happened in your life that is positive is a result of your own wisdom did you know that <laughs> i hope to i hope you're not deflated by that nothing in your own life is a is a product of your own goodness your own cleverness your own wisdom you know why i know that because the bible says in james 1:17 every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So we must recognize everything that happens in our lives. Even the bad things that we would consider negative events in our lives belong to a divine plan that is designed to bring honor and glory to Him because the God that is behind the scenes working providentially in your life will be glorified in your life, and in the process, you will shine brighter. You will go closer to Him. You will be more mature in the process. If you've been a believer long enough, you can testify to that. And you say, yes, I remember way back when. I remember the first trial that I went through as a Christian. I remember how tough it was when it happened. But now I look back on it. I don't want to go through it again. I don't need a refresher course for that particular tragedy or that particular negative event. But I know that God is sovereign, that God, I, I learned to trust in Him and guess what? There will be more. <laughs> and, and that's your life all the way through glory with ups and downs and God being glorified in the process. Now, I should never associate my full scholarship that I got at seminary years ago with randomness of luck or, or, or luck. Now, I didn't get a, a benefactor who saw me pray at a restaurant and said, I'm going to pay for your college education. To me, it happened after the first year. I paid my first year of seminary. But in the second year, I received a phone call from the president of the seminary, and he said this, I, I'm going to pay for your education from now on. I, I, this is a personal interest that I took in you. I'm going to pay for your education. In church, I, obviously, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, but I cannot call this a merit scholarship because that president had no idea of my grades, and they weren't very impressive, I can assure you that. So I could call this Grace scholarship or providence scholarship. How about that? Providence of God scholarship. But God moves the hearts of strangers. He moves the hearts of seminary presidents, bosses, spouses, politicians, parents, children, etc. According to His sovereign will. Sometimes we receive favor just as Esther did on that day. The Bible says very clearly Ahasuerus looked at her and she found favor in His eyes. Again, God changed his heart and prepared his heart for that moment, that he would see the stunning beauty of Esther, and then she would find favor in his eyes. But at other times, we may receive hostility. It's is part of life. Mordecai is an example of that. Mordecai and the other Jews of Persia of that day, they endured hostility. And when it happens that uh, we get hostility from other people, it doesn't mean God is less involved. Stay tuned. We'll see that. But secondly, I want to talk to you about the second aspect of God's providential care. We talked about the fact that He tames temperaments. Number two, He alleviates anxiety. Verses 3 through 4. Let me show you how that happens. Then the king said to Esther, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be given to you. Esther said, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now, Even though God is behind the scenes here, God is in control of the situation, Esther had a plan. You see, she she had three days to prepare. She recruited the people, oh, fast for me. I'm going to spend these three days here brainstorming and preparing for this. And she had a plan. And her only request for now was that her husband and the prime minister attended her banquet that she had already prepared. You see, this was not something that she was going to prepare. This is everything prepared. She said, I, I this is all done. All you need to do is come. Now, perhaps she initially planned to reveal her Jewishness at this dinner party. Remember, so far in the narrative, Ahasuerus has no idea that Esther is from the Jewish line because Mordecai had told her, don't tell anybody. But listen, her plan could have backfired for many reasons. For example, Ahasuerus, as we know him, liked to fuel his lust with alcohol. Remember him from the first chapter? He, this was a guy who was uh, struggled with lust and a drinking problem. He could have repeated the same debacle of chapter 1. He could have said, Esther, oh, by the way, yes, let's come to that banquet. And by the way, I want you to undress for that banquet, just like I did with Vashti. And to the heroine's surprise, to Esther's surprise here, the king went an, even a step further than his unusual kindness here, which is uncharacteristic of him. He offered an unreasonable request, an unreasonable generosity here. He said, well, I will give you even half of the kingdom. Now, we don't know that this is really something he meant to do or this is just hyperbole. He's just exaggerating like, oh, my darling, I'll give you the moon type of a thing. Just ask me whatever you want. I'll give you the moon. So we don't know that he was really planning to do that. This would have caused... Perhaps civil war, if he did that. And we know that Ahasuerus is known for speaking before thinking. So, it's, it's hard to know. But what we do know here, church, is that God is at work. This is God's way of alleviating the anxiety in her heart. Imagine that situation. She is there not knowing whether or not she will survive. She went and approached the king, violating the law, violating palace, protocol there, and to her surprise and to her relief, he says, yes, come on in, what is your request? I'll give you even half of the kingdom. There, again, this is God's way of assuring her, of comforting her, of alleviating the anxiety in her heart. Now, have you ever experienced something like this? A, a, a similar circumstance? Of course, I'm not talking about kingdoms and kings and queens. None of us have experienced anything like that, but you go to a meeting, which can potentially cause drama, or potentially cause a breakup in, in a relationship, some sort of a conflict, a resignation perhaps, or, or a breakup of a business partnership, or the end of a friendship, and to your surprise, the other side of the table responds to you in kindness. Have you ever experienced something like that? I have, and again, forgive me for giving you another personal example. This is not about me. This is The purpose of this is just for illustration. Years ago, a fellow pastor and I confronted this brother who was living in sin. This uh, brother in Christ had a drinking problem. And we, this fellow pastor and I finally decided we needed to go talk with him because his wife had come to us in tears saying, this is getting out of control. I don't know who else to turn to. So we went and decided to show up in his house. We expected resistance from him, of course, even though he was very respectful to us but we were confident that God would honor his process for restoration that he outlined in his word. We we followed Matthew 18 the process there and then we it was time for us to go talk with this brother in Christ. He initially resisted our shepherd and this was in his dinner table. At one point he just got out. He said, "Well, thank you guys for coming." And he got out of his uh, uh, uh the table. <laughs> we were looking at each other, okay, what do we do now? Do we leave? Do we wait? Is he coming back with a gun? What What do we do? So we just waited patiently there for a few moments while his wife was there sitting with us. At one point, he came back broken. He regathered his, his thought. He regathered his composure. This was a matter of minutes. And this man came back with tears in his eyes, broken, realizing what he has been doing to his family and to his wife because of alcohol. And at the end of the conversation, he even thanked us for caring enough about him to go call him to account. Now, I tell you this story to give you an example of the softening of this man's heart had to be an act of God. It wasn't my beautiful face, I assure you. It was God's working in this man's heart, preparing everything, preparing for that meeting even before we thought about it. Or like my brother Brian likes to say, God was ahead of us. And He alleviated our anxiety and comforted our hearts in a process. He gave us a tremendous sense of assurance that God always honors His Word.
0: If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world this broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.